0: series, I'm excited, it's called Seven Words of Love. Uh, Famous last words, right? In the movies, they always seem to have a a powerful final word. As As their last breath leaves their body, they utter one final phrase, one last word that changes everything for everybody. I'd like to have an interesting, inspirational, dying utterance. I'll have to work on that. Maybe maybe I can get some ideas from these last words of famous people. Now, it sounds like I'm setting up for something funny. Uh, These aren't necessarily funny. In fact, some of them are pathetic. Some may be a little thought-provoking, some inspirational. For example, Elizabeth I, Queen of England, In 1603, on her deathbed said, all my possessions for a moment of time. Phineas Taylor Barnum, P.T. Barnum, 1891. How were the receipts at Madison Square Garden? (laughs) Final words. Thomas Beckett, Chancellor of England, In 1170, after clashing with the king, for the name of Jesus and the protection of the church, I'm ready to embrace death. Ludwig von Beethoven, 1827, he died. Friends applaud, the comedy is over. Billy the Kid, famous outlaw in 1881, his last words were, who is it? (laughs) The answer, of course, was Sheriff Pat Garrett. Anne Bolin, second wife of Henry VIII, O God, have pity on my soul, O God, have pity on my soul. John Wilkes Booth, uh, the man who assassinated President Lincoln, 1865. His last words, tell mother, tell mother, I died for my country. Useless, useless. Luther Burbank, pioneer in agricultural science, I don't feel good. (laughs) Julius Caesar. You too, Brutus? When the priest who was attending him on his deathbed said, May the Lord have mercy on your soul, Charlie Chaplin responded, Why not? After all, it all belongs to him. Harold Lillis Bing Crosby. In 1977, walking off a golf course near Madrid, Spain, said, It was a great game. And then a bell sounded. (laughs) Charles Darwin, I'm not the least afraid to die. Poet Emily Dickinson, the fog is rising. Amelia Earhart, final words, gas is running low. Douglas Fairbanks Sr., 1939, never felt better. (laughs) Nathan Hale, 1776, as he was about to be hanged, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Conrad Hilton, of the famed Hotel Empire, was asked if he had any last words of wisdom for the world. And he said, leave the shower curtain on the inside of the tub brilliant. Joan of Arc, 1431, only 19 years old, Joan of Arc, hold the cross high so I may see it through the flames. Karl Marx, go on, get out, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. William Soroyan, Pulitzer Prize-winning writer, said, everybody's got to die, but I always believed an exception would be made in my case. (laughs) Now what? General John Sedgwick, commander of the Army of the Potomac during the Civil War, said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this (laughs) distance. Pancho Villa, don't let it end like this. Tell him I said something. And finally, Henry Ward Beecher, 1887, said, Now comes the mystery. We'd all like to leave the world with something memorable to say, something just dripping with wisdom, some universal truth that resonates in the heart of all who hear it. How about the words of Jesus? Are they significant, his final words? What do they mean to us today? How do they play? into the life of Christians. Over the next seven weeks, we'll look at the seven last words of Jesus. These are are seven statements, all recorded in Scripture and spoken by Jesus from the cross. They are profound words. They are weighty words. They are thoughtful and reflective words. And it cannot be denied, they are seven words of love. The first words from the cross that we'll look at are found in Luke chapter 23. You can turn there. The phrase is actually found in verse 34 of Luke 23. We'll actually read verse 33 as well, just to add a little context. But these are indeed life-changing words of love. They were spoken over 2,000 years ago now. And they still echo through the corridors of time. They reverberate down through the centuries, into the decades, impacting the years and settling into the moments, finding a place in our hearts even today. They are words that remind us again of the depths of the love of Jesus. Perhaps they are the hardest words. It's really a prayer from the cross, Luke 23, beginning in verse 33, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts as we contemplate the last words of Jesus and how they impact us today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each heart today. Lord, we all have a different story. We all come from a different situation, a different childhood, a different background. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us right where we're at today, right where we're at this morning. And Lord, if someone listens to this, whether it would be via the podcast or the website or a CD recording somewhere down the line. Lord, I pray that it would be just as real to them in that moment. And Lord, only you can do that. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These are, these are words that don't add up for us. When you look at the political landscape, the vindictive mindset of so many, the mentality of society today, this makes absolutely no sense. Jesus shows us in the midst of his grief and pain, the likes of which we will never experience, that forgiveness is a choice. Though no apologies have been offered, though no one deserves to be forgiven, though no one has repented and long before time has healed any wounds, Jesus offers up forgiveness. The executioner's are still standing beside the cross, hammer still in hand. The crowds are jeering and mocking Him. The pain is excruciating. The seconds tick by at a pace reminiscent of watching grass grow or waiting for paint to dry. The song says, Sorry seems to be the hardest word. In reality, I forgive you are the hardest words. And yet... They are powerful words of love. And while some live for retribution and hold on to grudges till their dying days, there are others who choose to forgive. The stories are all around us. The stories are everywhere if we look for them. They're stories of forgiveness, stories of restoration, and stories of newfound freedom discovered in a very difficult and perhaps unlikely choice. It's a choice we all have to make, one time or another. Forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't hurt, and it doesn't even mean that the pain will go away anytime soon. But forgiveness is the first step in the process that leads to health and healing for the one hurt. They may be the hardest words, but I forgive you are powerful words of love. This morning, allow me to give you four examples. Example number one. You don't know me, but I'm no longer dating your husband. I'm sorry for any pain I caused your family. Christy recalls the day, the exact moment she read that sentence in an email sent to her last March. My heart just stopped, says the mother of four small children. I felt paralyzed. Until that point, Christy, a relationship coach, coach, believed that she and her husband, Adrian, 46, her husband of 10 years, were happily married. Certainly, things weren't perfect. Business was slow for Adrian, a, a car salesman and their bank balance had taken a hit. "'Adrian and I were feeling pressure about money,' says Christy, "'but she had seen no other warning signs. "'We still had date nights and did things as a family. "'I never dreamed that he would betray me.'" After reading and rereading the email, Christy called her husband at work, voice shaking, and demanded an explanation. Adrian was defensive at first, said it never happened, and even hung up on me, she remembers. But a minute later, he called back crying, admitted it was true, and begged me to forgive him. The story unfolded. Adrian and a customer had flirted. A one-night stand turned into a four-month affair. I was furious, said Christy. It was hard for me not to tell Adrian that, that we were over and make him hurt as badly as I did. Instead, the pair talked and wept together all night. Once the initial shock passed, I was faced with a choice, she says. I could either fight for my marriage or let this event change everything. Christy made a conscious decision to forgive. It didn't happen instantly. For the next six months, she struggled with resentment and the fear that Adrian would not be committed to making the marriage work. There were many times I asked him, How could you live with yourself? How could you look me in the eye and lie for months? And to get closure, I needed to know every last detail of the affair. It was extremely painful for Adrian to answer my questions, but he did so with humility, she says. Forgiving him was the hardest thing I ever had to do. While on vacation last May, Christy and Adrian spontaneously renewed their wedding vows. We continue to work on trust issues, she admits, but our marriage is stronger for it. I have no regrets. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A second example. As children, Pascal and her younger brother endured constant abuse from their mother. She would hit me and my younger brother, fling plates in our direction, and call us names. My father tried to get between her and us, and and she wouldn't spare him either. Pascal's home was deeply troubled. My mother had an abusive childhood, says Pascal, so maybe as a result she subjected me and my brother, who was severely autistic, to her constant drama. Even when Pascal was off at college, her mother would call to berate her. She felt disparaged. She disparaged my appearance, my friends, my academics. I felt she was driving me over an emotional ledge. After graduation, Pascal married and in 2002 had a daughter of her own. Pascal hoped that Sophie's birth would soften her mother, but it wasn't to be. Her rages were now directed at Sophie. I just wanted this relationship to stop causing constant pain in my life. Pascal said. Then in 2010, at the age of 73, Pascal's mother suffered several massive consecutive strokes. Her brain was irreparably damaged. Arriving at the hospital, Pascal was shocked to find her mother unable to communicate or even understand language. As the only relative capable of caring for her mother, she felt duty-bound to do so. She sat by her mother's side around the clock, reading books aloud and and just talking, though not sure what, if anything, her mother could understand. At first I was angry. I felt she had left me a mess that I had to take care of, says Pascal. But as the months went by, her anger at her mother, who was now in such a vulnerable state, (coughs) slowly dissipated. Finally, one day, an exhausted Pascal laid her head in her mother's lap and the hatred melted. It was just gone, she says. For the first time I stopped condemning her, and that gave me peace. Forgiving her mother also helped Pascal to let go of other resentments. I've become less interested in holding on to all forms of bitterness. I see now that forgiveness is not so much about what you receive from people, But it's about what you give them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A third example. A flash of silver. That's all Nettie recalls about driving to work on the morning of August tenth, two 2011, when another car swerved into her lane, hitting her head on. With her right leg pinned between the dashboard and the front seat, Nettie drifted in and out of consciousness for almost an hour before firefighters were able to free her. In the emergency room, convinced she was going to die, Nettie asked a nurse to pen a goodbye letter to her 13-year-old son, Dominic. I told him how proud I was of him, she says, and how sad I was to leave him. Her injuries were extensive requiring 10 hours of emergency surgery. Her spleen, her appendix, and two-thirds of her colon and upper intestine had to be removed. Besides nearly losing her right foot, Nettie broke her right arm, shattered her right heel. For days, it hurt even to breathe, she says. Not, it wasn't until several weeks later, when Nettie began to recover, did they break the news to her. The 63-year-old woman who had caused the accident had a blood alcohol level well over the legal limit. Before that, I hadn't been angry. Accidents happen, Nettie said. But who's drunk at 8.15 in the morning? Her distress only increased upon learning that the driver had minimal auto insurance and that Nettie would be saddled with hefty medical bills. The last straw came the day before Thanksgiving when her boss announced that on top of everything, Nettie was being let go from her job. For the next six months, she plunged into a deep and dark depression. I got Dominic off to school in the morning, and then I spent the rest of my day sleeping, says Nettie. She despaired every time she thought of the drunk driver who had brought such hardship into her life. It all took a toll. The following spring, Nettie began seeing a therapist. In our sessions, I worked on acknowledging my anger and hurt, then letting those feelings go. It was hard to do, she admits, but asking why me over and over was getting me nowhere. In August of 2012, Nettie was in the courtroom when the woman who had caused the accident was sentenced to eight to 16 months in jail. The woman looked so scared, she remembers. I couldn't imagine what was going through her head. Afterward, Nettie approached the public defender. I said, please let your client know that I forgive her. The gesture gave Nettie a huge sense of relief. I wasn't in control of her actions on that fateful morning, she says, but I am in complete control of how I respond from here on out. And I decided to choose forgiveness over hate. Today, while she focuses on rehab, Nettie is a public speaker for Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Slowly, she's learning to walk again. Every day, I find something to be thankful for, she says. I couldn't feel that gratitude without forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The problem, church, with the cross, is that we can grow numb to it. Maybe we have a cross necklace, we have a cross in church, and and we sing about the cross, but we seldom contemplate the cross. The movie The Passion of the Christ, back in 2004, helped to bring the graphic nature of the crucifixion back into our consciousness. It's hard to watch, even harder to imagine, it's harder still to endure There's no more terrible death than death by crucifixion. Even the Romans regarded it with a shudder of horror. Cicero declared that it was the most cruel and horrifying death. Tacitus said that it was a despicable death. It was originally a Persian method of execution. To the Persians, the earth was sacred, and they wished to avoid defiling it with the body of an evildoer. So they nailed him to a cross and left him to die there, looking for the vultures and the carrion crows to complete the work. The Carthaginians took over crucifixion from the Persians and the Romans learned it from them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These last words of Jesus reveal the purpose for which he came. He died so that we could be Forgiven. In fact, one of the jeers that Jesus faced on the cross was uttered in Matthew 27 42. He saved others, they said. Himself, he cannot save. And perhaps truer words have never been spoken. If he was to save us, he could not save himself. Let me give you one more short example. Forgiveness. After a long shift at the fire department, Matt Swadzel fell asleep while driving and crashed into another vehicle, killing a pregnant mother named June Fitzgerald and injuring her one and a half year old daughter. Months later, in the courtroom, when the sentencing took place, Fitzgerald's husband, a full time pastor, asked the judge for leniency on the man's behalf. He then began meeting with Swadzel for coffee and conversation. Many years have passed, and the two men remain close. And when asked why he would treat the one responsible for his wife's death, with such grace and kindness, Fitzgerald said, You forgive as you have been forgiven. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus died so we could be forgiven. The pain and suffering that he endured on the cross was on our behalf. Every time the nail was struck, every lash of the scourger's whip, every wound from the crown of thorns pressed into his tender brow, every time he was spat upon, every insult hurled his way was for you and for me. We deserved the cross. But He took our place. Our iniquities were laid upon Him. He endured far more than than you and I ever will. And yet He freely offers forgiveness. Now it's up to us to forgive, even as we have been forgiven. From the cross, Jesus is reminding the Christian that forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is not a noble gesture by a few exceptional pace setters in the Christian movement. It's rudimentary to who we are as believers. In fact, church, it's a prerequisite to our being forgiven. Matthew 6 14 and 15 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Mark 11, 25 and 26. When you stand praying, when you stand praying, in other words, when you want something from God, When you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells an amazing parable about a man unwilling to forgive another man a small debt after he was forgiven a much larger debt by the king himself. The king got word and he had the man arrested and the Bible says that he was bound to the tormentors. The final verse of the chapter says it all. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if you from your heart do not forgive everyone his brother, their trespasses. One of the great falsehoods of modern church teaching is that everything that we get from God is unconditional. It's simply not the case. In fact, the only thing that I can think of that's unconditional is is love. Salvation is very conditional. The Word of God proclaims it with clarity. Forgiveness is is imparted to you as you forgive others. <clears throat> forgiveness is withheld from you if you withhold forgiveness from others. The scriptures could not be any clearer. And here on the cross, the words—here on the cross, the worst of all fathomable circumstances—Jesus leads by example. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And now the the choice is yours. It's a difficult choice. I know that. Much of what we do in Christianity is a choice that we have to make. And much of what we choose as a Christian is difficult. In Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. None of that makes sense. None of it is easy and it cannot be rooted in feelings or I will never do it. I have to choose. I have to decide to obey the words of Jesus. Obedience, you see is the outflow of faith. We believe Jesus. We take him at his word. That's faith. That's what faith is. But what does faith look like? It looks like obedience. And so we choose to obey the difficult words of Jesus. And as we do, we discover they are words of life. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the soldiers came in mass to apprehend him. Peter retaliated. Oh, Peter. In fact, the Connect Groups will be a study on the life of Peter. But Peter retaliated. Peter pulled his sword, the Bible tells us. And he cut off the ear of a soldier named Malchus. The reaction of, of Jesus to all of this is Interesting. He looks upon Malchus with compassion. Malchus was most likely the one nearest in proximity to Jesus. He was probably the one beginning to lay hold of Jesus, to take him by force, which is why Peter lashed out at him. But Jesus responds very differently than Peter. He reacts with compassion. Perhaps he pictures the wife of Malchus Or perhaps the children. Jesus doesn't view him as an enemy. He sees him as a a person. A lost man. And Jesus knows all too well that lost people have a way of acting like lost people. And in his compassion he reaches to the ground. Picks up the severed ear. And heals the one Who was in the process of mistreating him? It's kind of an overlooked example of forgiveness in the Bible. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The words of forgiveness uttered by Jesus on the cross were every bit. As much of victory as the resurrection from the dead. The words of forgiveness emanating from the one so wronged are no less life giving than the stone being rolled aside and Christ emerging from the tomb. They're words of life, words of hope, the words of redemption, the words of love. We serve a magnanimous Savior. And we are to be like Him. Freely forgiven, now we must freely forgive. Forgiving one another even as Christ has forgiven us. I forgive you. The hardest words. The ultimate words of love. I don't know what that brings to your mind, to your heart. My concern for us, church, is that we we harbor unforgiveness. And, and the interesting thing for me, you know, in the preparation of this, and it resonates so true, and I get it. I, I, I get that. I get that message. I get it. And yet Friday, I find myself having a hard time forgiving someone for the littlest, stupidest thing. In the midst of sermon prep, I find myself holding this against somebody on Friday. And the Lord brings it to my mind, I just begin to pray, God, forgive me for, forgive me for this. And I just began to pray for the young man that I was holding a grudge against. And so I I say that to say this, I think we have blind spots. I don't think we see it sometimes. And the unforgiveness that we hold on to clogs up the channel of what God wants to do in your life and in my life. And so we have to contemplate the cross. We have to... We have to remember the cross. We have to think about the severity of the cross. Think about the fact that Jesus was absolutely, positively innocent. He's the only one that didn't deserve to be crucified. The worst imaginable death. And he endured it in our place. And while hanging on the cross, though no one had apologized, no one had asked for forgiveness, time had yet to heal any wounds, And Jesus looked down at the men, hammers still in hand. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's the challenge before us. And so I don't even want to take it anywhere beyond that. I just want to open the altars. My hope and prayer is that you'll flood to the altar. You'll kneel. You'll bury your face in the carpet. You'll lay prostrate prostrate before the Lord. You'll ask him to bring to your consciousness, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you unforgiveness in your heart that's keeping you from being all that you can be for him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know, one final thought. Maybe maybe you can't even bring yourself to say the words. Maybe the hurt that you feel is so deep, so ingrained, that you cannot bring yourself to say the words, I forgive you. You know what you say? Say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. We've got 15 minutes. Spend time in the presence of the Lord. I encourage you to make your way to the altar. God bless you.